Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Back up a second. You said the idea was your son's? Yeah. So I, my son is, is 10 now, but when he was six, we were at a Raptors game and he pointed to the court and asked me why he never got to see girls play. Why oh. every time did we come, did we see boys play? And it was sort of like, you know, the beauty of children and the fact that like, he doesn't know that that was just the way our lives have been. Mm. And, and for me, it really sparked an idea that, you know, I, I love the concept of like raising a feminist son and I want him to, and both my boys to, to realize that women can do all the same things that men can do. And I was like, I think I could probably make that happen that we could see women play here. Hey folks, Gavin Roth here with another episode of the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing, sponsored by The Program, your guide to finding and watching women's sports online and on television. Subscribe to the weekly newsletter at theprogram.substack.com. Unless you've been living under a rock over the past couple of months, you're aware that the WNBA invaded Toronto in May. What you might not know is the origin story of how that event came to be. We have Leah McNabb's son to thank in part. Leah shares that story and so much more in this fascinating and wide-ranging chat. We cover how Leah landed a role with the NBA and has worked her way up from coordinator to senior vice president and managing director, including an amazing story of what inspired her to pursue a job at the NBA and how she wore down Dan McKenzie until he eventually hired her. A deep dive into her role and what excites her about the future. Her mentors with a shout out to Dan McKenzie, Stacey Allister, Sherry Bradish and her team. Lessons learned in her current role with a focus on Leah's growth as a people manager and how that was put to the test during the pandemic. Insights into some of her favorite campaigns, events, and partnerships, such as the NBA 75th anniversary marketing campaign, NBA creators presented by Microsoft, shining a light on BIPOC creators, and insights into how and why partners got behind the WNBA game, including Tangerine, DoorDash, Air Canada, SportCheck, and Canada Goose. We discuss Canadian Tire's bold pledge to increase their investment in women's sport, plus the state of women's sports and how corporate partners are helping build the future we want to see. And we wrap with wonderful professional development advice, including the value of surrounding yourself with diversity of background and opinion. Leah is dogged, thoughtful, self-aware, humble, and very impressive. I particularly love how she prepares for opportunities, whether a new role or a new event. You'll leave informed and inspired. I hope you enjoy. And for more episodes of the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing, follow me on LinkedIn, visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or check out rothrevenue.com. You tend to see two things, right? You tend to see people who have been that four or five years here, four or five years there, three, four years here. And then you see people who are locked in somewhere. But it's clear you've been 18 years plus, but you've had different roles. Um, 
But I kind of stop and think about what does that say about different people who, you know, like have you, where's that loyalty come from? Where's that like commitment to staying and and growing somewhere? I, I find that interesting. Yeah, so for me, I've always been a strong believer that each of us is the architect of our own career. So like we get to make what we do all day matter to us. Um, and I am incredibly grateful for Dan McKenzie hiring me as a coordinator back in 2005. He, he um, was there on Friday, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. I sat with him. Um, yeah. And so so that, that I'm grateful for him for like taking a chance on me. I didn't have any sports experience. Um, I hadn't done a sports management program. Uh, when I first reached out, he told me I had no chance of getting the job. <laughs> and I managed to talk my way into an interview and somehow make it out as the successful candidate, which was amazing. But but the MBA is a really special place to work. Um, I am, I'm, I mean, I've been here 18 years. I have definitely, I'm, I bought in, um, but it's special for two reasons. Uh, one, I studied political science in my undergrad and I always thought I wanted to work in politics and it was really around how do I change the world and make it a better place. And I strongly believe that sport has the power to do that much more effectively than politics can. And one of the things that really drew me to the MBA, one of the reasons I fell in love with the MBA as a child was, was seeing kind of, I'll never forget the press conference of Magic Johnson and David Stern mm -hmm. talking about mm -hmm. his HIV AIDS diagnosis and, and how powerful that was to change the conversation. You know, here was someone that, that so many people loved um, going through going through this diagnosis and, and, you know, how do we respond as a society? And so um, I have to say that was, that was one of the things that made me think of the NBA differently than the other leagues. And um, it's something that keeps me here because I do feel I can live my values in addition to, you know, work on a sport I love and, you know, an incredible set of products that, that we represent. Um, but I also say that anytime I asked for a new opportunity, the answer was yes. And so, you know, that was really interesting for me. When I get to a stage where I felt like I kind of had, it was rinse and repeat, I could do this work again, kind of, you know, fairly easily. It was about, you know, what's coming into the sports world. Sport is, we're so lucky. There's so much innovation around whether it's the presentation of the game, sports betting more recently, um, you know, at one point, just thinking about the future of how sport will be presented, how fans will consume it. Um, there's so many interesting places to learn. And for me, as long as I'm learning and my values can be represented, this is a place I want to stay. Um, and so, you know, it may not be, I may not be here for my entire career, but, but I certainly have enjoyed all, all of the 18 years to date. I love it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've always admired you know, the NBA, right? I remember that moment as well, very well. I'm older than you. Um, so it was, uh, it's one of those moments that I still come back to and remark to people, you know, when you see magic out buying some team or investing in something, which he seems to do every second week these days, it's remember this, where his, where he started and what he's been through and, and how we don't even, it doesn't even, you know, we don't think twice about somebody living a full, happy life with HIV anymore. And he was at the forefront. But to your point, it was the standing beside him 
and and supporting him. And and then you think about what we've been through over the last few years, not just the pandemic, but but the whole Black Lives Matter movement, the the support of the LGBTQ plus community, and Mark Silver learning from such a great leader in David Stern, um, and and just also just being so present and supportive of the the players and letting them have a voice more so than any league, I think that that I that I see is that fair to say like I don't know what other leagues are so out front and encouraged to be on issues social issues so yeah I agree with you Adam Silver is an incredible commissioner who who definitely you know um believes those things and it's it's great to have a leader like that I think that values-based leadership stops starts at the top um and so we feel it every day we're really lucky um I I don't know of another sport, but I have to say I spend a lot of my time in basketball. And so I don't always feel like a great person to evaluate other properties because um, I'm very locked in and we're in the season still <laughs> into our current season. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't compare us very often. I, I always think that we should compare ourselves against the ideal we want, um, well said. not what other people are doing. Well said, but I can tell you your leaders. So. Um... I do look at other leagues, so I'll 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 take that one. Um, so what what uh, talk about your roles within the? Uh, well, first of all, why what did you do to convince Dan back then? What 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 happened in that meeting that he said he initially thought you're not going to get this, you don't have a chance to. You convinced him. So. Uh, I met Dan at a party. I was lucky to meet him at a social event. He, I said to him, I love the NBA. I'd love to work at the NBA if you're ever hiring. And he said, oh, I am hiring actually. I said, oh, can I get your card? So I didn't even know what the job was. I went home from that party. I updated my resume and I emailed it to him and said, I would love to meet for an interview. I called him maybe two days later just to check in, you know, did you get my resume? You know, any questions? And, and I can hear him like fumbling with pieces of paper on the table. <laughs> and then he's like, oh yeah, yeah, no. He's like, you don't have any of the experience we want. Like you're just, there's no chance you're gonna get this job. And so my default was, you know, I've always believed no is not yet, not, not no forever. And I was like, oh, you really have to have me in for an interview. Like I am made for this job. I love the MBA. Um, I have all of the skills you want on the job posting. And he's like, yeah, we're looking for someone that's worked in sport before. We want someone that has a sport management degree. He's like, you don't even have a business degree. He was like, you studied political science. And I was like, yeah. yeah. You've done Toastmasters and, you know, all yeah, that. I hadn't even yeah. started Toastmasters at that yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so we hung up that call and I thought, you know, he told me at the party that it was sort of an entry level job. And I thought, what do I have to lose? So I looked at the job posting, every single skill they wanted. I thought of a time I demonstrated that skill and I called his office phone line every day for two weeks at seven in the morning. And I left him a voicemail with, you know, here's a great reason why you should at least consider me for an interview. Like, please just have me in for an interview. Like, don't give me the job, but at least, you know, let me come in for the interview. And so he ended up calling me back and saying, you know, Leah, most people would hate this. So don't do this to other people. But was always a coach. Um, and he said, I like persistence. You can come in for the interview, but you're my last choice. And I was like, all right, break it. I love that. Like, 
<laughs> I'm not afraid to outwork other people. Um, and I, I mean, like most women, I'm used to being underestimated. So I was like, no problem. Um, <laughs> and I got the job. So, you know. I, I love it. Man, alive. He put faith on me and I'm grateful to him for that. But uh, I tried to work really hard to prove to him that it was the right choice. Where does that come from? Who is that? Who, who, you know, where's that drive, that like persistency, that confidence at an early stage like that come from? Um, I'd say, honestly, the confidence came from just absolute economic need. I needed a job. Um, <laughs> I had student loans to pay. I wanted to work somewhere where I felt like I could, I could have an impact. And I wanted to work somewhere that had an A-type environment because um I'd been somewhere that wasn't like that and realized it was really not for me and so so I kind of knew what I wanted um I'd say the like the never take the first no it really comes from my dad so my dad was an entrepreneur growing up he was always always told us we could do whatever we wanted to do he built us up regularly but you know as an entrepreneur you hear no all the time and uh you get really crafty about how do you go at it again or try yeah. it from a different angle I'm also the youngest of five kids. So like even just getting dad's attention. Hard. <laughs> and so we, we learn how to like, you know, try again. I love it. Those are great, uh, great insights and just good, you know, solid human development, um, you know, uh, stories. So good, good on you. Yeah, the run to the litter is always, you know, uh, they're always crafty in terms of getting attention and and getting their way and being resourceful. So it it all makes sense to me. Um, what are some of your favorite roles like along the way? I mean, you you recently, congrats by the way, you're not far into a promotion as senior vice president now and managing director for NBA Canada. Maybe just starting at the top there, what does the that SVP addition to your title mean? in practical terms, besides more money, I hope. <laughs> um, for for me, it, it means this year I, I have an opportunity to uh, sit on the steering committee for business planning. Um, so that's how we allocate resources across the entire league for the years going forward. Um, it's a really interesting opportunity to represent the regions and our international business because, um, you know, I report into Mark Tatum, who's our deputy commissioner, and uh, the ILT, so the international leadership team that we sit on. So I get to, um, to participate in that way, which is really exciting. But I think some of it is really just um, a reflection of the fact that our business has grown, you know, consistently. If I look back to what it was 18 years ago when I started to what it is today, you know, they're unrecognizable from each other. Um, you know, Dan deserves a lot of credit for a lot of that work. Um, and But it's been a very exciting uh, place to work. It's been a place where we can try new things, where we can pilot things for the world. You know, we just opened a restaurant um huge kudos to to my colleague stacy and shanna who really led that project but that is um a project that we believe could have legs all across the world it's hard to scale arenas it's not hard to scale nba experiences where folks where is it new york it's in toronto it's toronto a, restaurant it is it's in toronto it's at uh, york street or not young street sorry and the water queens key and young so basically there's a new condo building it's the ground level of a condo right on the lake um and it's an experience like you what's you it start, called it's called nba courtside restaurant 
Okay. It's open. You can attend anytime. We did we did our, our reception pregame for the W game there. Um, and uh, it is a very, very cool space. If you're an NBA fan, you will enjoy mm-hmm. not only the food, which is inspired by the global nature of our fans, mm-hmm. um, but but the the decor and the the memorabilia that we've built in. So it doesn't feel like a sports bar. It's it's actually an experience. It's set up so that you kind of follow through the sections of the restaurant like an NBA player would experience their life. So they start playing in the playground, they go to the, the court, the tables are made of, of NBA courts, floors, just a lot of really cool, cool things throughout. Um, strongly recommend if you're in Toronto, go check it out. The food is done. Uh, and <laughs> and, and uh, I'm assuming. And I'll take you the next time you're downtown. We'll, we'll go for lunch. Done. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming the executive chef is Serge Ibaka. Mm, how hungry are you yeah no it's <laughs> there's a natural uh, there's a natural somewhere in there for some fun i think <laughs> we do have an award-winning chef though erica karbelnik um, oh, she sure. is uh award-winning from chopped canada um chef. i love it yeah I, I remember back in my wwe days early in my career um the there was a restaurant uh opened in new york and you know, again, you're right. Like the, it was a huge event venue, entertainment venue, restaurant, and uh, a wonderful extension of a of another powerful brand. So I remember that that whole world very well. And then in Niagara Falls, we opened up a a, a ride and a restaurant and a, a store and all that. So you're right. These brands, you know, we think about them when the product on the court, which is obviously on display right now with the uh, with the conference finals, but uh, it is very much an entertainment brand and in touches can touch people's lives in so many ways. So I love hearing that extension and we'll take you up on that for sure. Uh, but yeah, go backwards like uh, you were licensing like talk uh, any any of those roles kind of in particular favorites of yours or things that Uh, you want to highlight so the thing i loved about i started as a coordinator i was a coordinator for sponsorship and licensing um which at the time were two different departments uh we ended up merging them over time but uh, i began i specialized in licensing and retail what i loved about that was the process of taking the idea from the page to execution like seeing you know, what the keychain or, or tchotchke or t-shirt or basketball was going to look like, and then actually being able to hold the physical thing. I loved that piece. I also love that many of our licensees, and while we have huge ones like Nike and Take-Two, et cetera, we also have really small licensees that are family-owned businesses. And there was such a, for me, that just reminded me of home and like growing up with entrepreneurs, having worked weekends, my parents' business growing up. Um, I, I really love that. The passion and the excitement that they had for their businesses is something that, you know, the big brands folks don't always have. And, and that would fill my cup on days when I needed it. Um, I really did like, I went from there to, to kind of oversee all of our sponsorship and licensing businesses and, and the team below that. Uh, it, was, it was the first chance I had to really hone management experience of people. I would say I was uh, naturally a terrible people manager. I have done a lot of training to become a good people manager, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> love, um, love that awareness. Uh, I'm going to come back to that. Yeah, go on. Yeah, um, but I, I really did like, you know, the freedom that sponsorship gives to be able to look at um, partner activations in different ways. So really, it's about putting the fan at the center and how do we make something that 
makes our fans' lives better, makes them, delights them, engages them, pulls them deeper into our two brands. That, the creativity around that, I loved. Um, and then and then I took over a new business in addition, uh, which really for me meant taking on new direct reports. I'm, I've never been our lead seller. Um, I probably never will be, uh, though I do end up doing a fair amount of sales mm-hmm. <laughs> in my day-to-day job. And then when Dan decided that he was going to move on, um, he actually recommended that I put myself forward. And it was funny because I thought, I thought that Dan was going to stay till he retired. Um, and so I'd never really thought of myself stepping into the managing director role. And I was a little worried about putting my hand up. I wasn't sure if I was ready. I wasn't sure if I wanted the responsibility. And, and so I, I joke, but I, I have a, a personal board of directors, which consists of some of my very career-minded friends. And I texted them and was like, we need we need to meet tonight. Like, I need you to come over. I will buy wine and like cheese and charcuterie oh, yeah. or Like tonight, you know, like you, yeah. uh, you and they this both was said yes. emergency meeting. Yes. Yeah. I was like, something big, I need you, come over. They what's, uh, yes. what's uh, do you watch Ted Lasso? I do, yeah. Yeah, what's their little uh, club that the guys have, the hounds or whatever? Well, like they have, yeah. they have that that meeting of the quick quick assembly. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't, think of the female me version. Me, of I that. have no idea what it's called, but I totally know. We don't have yeah. a howl or anything, so there's nothing cheesy <laughs> like that. But, but yeah. So go on. Um, so the team met, yes. And we did like a pros and cons list, and and honestly, at the time, I remember thinking it'll be like when a politician throws their name in the hat to be leader even if they don't win, it guarantees them a spot in cabinet. Um, and that was kind of what I was thinking it would be like. And then um, I had to fly to New York. I had to interview with Mark. Um, or my interview was at 7 p.m. on a Monday night, so it was really late. Um, and I'd prepped really hard for the interview. Um, and at the end of the interview, he said, you know, I agree. That's why we want to offer you the job. <laughs> and the one thing I hadn't prepped for was how to say yes. Uh, I literally wow. almost fell off my chair. And so, um, and then it wow. really hit me. I was like, wow, now I have the responsibility, not just the, you know, oh, the shit. joy of <laughs> what, yeah. what did I just do? What have I got myself into? Yeah, yeah. I think we all... That it's fair though, right? You have that moment. It's 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 okay to have that moment when you're given the, that amazing, gigantic opportunity. It's fair to think, oh boy, okay, here we go. Uh, but you're so ready. You're so ready. I didn't realize I was ready, but you know, you get ready fast, and you ask a lot of questions. I I did a, I jokingly called it like it felt like a round of business blind dates, but I set up. Um, meetings in New York with all of the other senior leaders um, in the company to ask for their advice, to say, you know, I'm going to step into this job. Do you have advice for me on how to be successful? And and those meetings were really useful for me. Mm. Um, and then I did deeper kind of dives with some of our other uh, country managers or MDs around the world that had been in, in role for a while to get their advice. Um, and so I'm grateful to everyone that gave me time because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and asking for feedback is, is in advance even of the role you're going to take is really worthwhile. Do you, this, this could be a very tough question to answer, but do you remember one or two bits of advice that really resonated or surprised you or something? Cause they're, you're, you're drinking from a fire hose. It sounds like you're talking to so many people, but, uh, 
you know, the overarching theme that I remember, there were lots of advice that was very actionable within the MBA world that, you know, may not make yes. sense for a wider listener. But I would say the one thing that I took away was just how much support there was that people were, um, you know, willing, available anytime I needed them to please reach out. And that is something that I'd say is, is really special about the MBA culture um, and something that I really appreciated. Um, the other thing I wasn't expecting, like, was when we announced my role, I got within the MBA emails from people I had never met before that were like, this is so important to me that they've put mm. a woman in this role, <laughs> you know, all, all the, and I didn't realize I was all of a sudden going to be a role model. Um, mm. <laughs> and so that was daunting in a way, cause I, mm. that was not the goal for, like, I wasn't trying to represent all women or anything. Um, <laughs> and that felt like a lot. Um, the accidental role model. Those are always interesting when people are thrust into, you know, roles and positions that, you know, you get this surprising commitment and obligation, but you've worn it well. You really have from 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 an outsider perspective. But but no, I appreciate that uh, that comment. Yeah. Um, what about um, so, you know, lessons in leadership. So go back to what you said. You weren't um, always a great people manager. What what was it that you've worked on? Yeah. Well, so I I I think I think a lot of people make this mistake. My first mistake as a people manager was I assumed I should treat people how I want to be treated. I quickly discovered that I am not like most people um, in that I have an almost unending kind of motor to try new things and do new things. Um, and I don't need a lot of positive reinforcement. Like I'm, I'm, I'm my own worst critic, but I'm also fairly good at recognizing like what went well, you know, what I should keep doing and then, you know, what didn't go well and how we should kind of change that. Um, and I can do it without a lot of emotion. Like it, it's sort of just, I don't know, my mm-hmm. setting. Mm-hmm. Most people's settings are not set that way, I realized. And so I was fortunate to hire someone that is absolutely not like me in any way, which was amazing because that made our team better. Um, but my first direct report, um, what, and she still works here for me. And uh, so I joke about this all the time, but I joke that she was the guinea pig that where I learned how to manage people. But it was because I was like, not at all how she wanted to be treated before I figured it out that I should treat people how they want to be treated. And and really, you know, a message will be better received if folks understand that you're on their side and you're trying to make them better. And together, you know, we can achieve amazing things. Um, we combine our talents and efforts. And so for me, it was really about that, just that mm. little switch of like, take the time to really understand how someone wants to be, like how they want communication, how they want to, what motivates them. You know, that idea of positive reinforcement, I've gotten a lot better at. Um, I am not a naturally touchy-feely. Because you didn't need it always. You weren't always there to offer it, but now. It just, I wouldn't even think of it. Like, like, people know what they're good at, like, and, but some people don't, and they need that. Um, And also some people want the limelight for a minute, and that's, that's totally fine. When they've earned it, that makes sense. Like, so, so I've, I've definitely learned that side of it. message. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Who's, who's the employee? Shanna Alpert. So okay. she leads our licensing and retail team. She was my first hire. She worked for us, um, left for a few years and came back. Okay, very cool. Uh, I love it when people come back, it says something. Um, 
But you're right. Like, you know, we're all wired differently. Um, I often talk about this in a broader sense that, you know, the healthcare system, the education system is served up to everybody in a very similar way, yet our bodies adapt, take medicine and treatment differently. Our minds learn differently. So it's it's flawed in that sense, but we understand when you offer it on mass and free, um, it has to be that way. But yes, leading people is very much like that. We're all unique. Um, and I've loved over my career when I've led teams and people that task. That's something I've always really enjoyed is is managing people on an individual basis. So what you're saying really resonates um, uh, with me. And it's such a point of pride when you get, you see somebody growing and thriving um, mm-hmm. that's that's benefited from that leadership uh, style. But obviously they've got to take it and and run with it, right? Absolutely. No, it's it's wonderful to see people doing things that, you know, they were trying to improve, you know, a year ago or six months ago and like yeah. doing them and doing them really well. It's very rewarding. Um, and I think that 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 foundation of, you know, having the understanding that you're all working to improve and each teammate knowing what it is you're trying to improve really helps the whole um, show up in a, in a better way and, and ultimately do good work. Right. Talk about people that inspired you. You've mentioned already people like Dan. I'm sure there's others um, who who comes to mind. Yeah, definitely Dan. Um, you know, I uh, I absolutely I love Dan. We still we see each other every month or two now. Um, but but I'd say like within even within the NBA, there were a lot of women in leadership in when I was younger coming up. Um, that I didn't see in other professional sports. So, you know, I'm grateful to to all of those women that gave me time that were willing to kind of, you know, um, talk about how they manage their lives, their families, you know, that type of thing. At, at that time, when I was thinking about having a family, there weren't a lot of women that were open to talking about it. A lot of women in the workplace were still sort of like, I don't want to say like hiding the fact that they had a family, but like they definitely didn't want it to be a focus. And, um, and I'm like, I'm an absolute open book. Like I do a monthly coffee session. It's called ask me anything. It's a group session, but like lots of people have joined that to say, like, how did you figure out how to make it work to have kids and, you know, lead a a business, et cetera. And I'm entirely open about like how, what we tried, what worked and what didn't like, you know, at the end of the day, everybody needs to, needs to have kind of like their lives in order in order to like work really smart and well. And so, um, creating the flexibility that's needed for that is something that is important to me um, and something I feel like I've benefited from at the NBA. Um, and then I would say, you know, outside of the NBA, I, I saw, I saw Stacey Allister this weekend, so I'm oh. going to call her out again, but um, I love her self-deprecating nature. I love um, her commitment, how, how, you know, she doesn't take being a role model, model lightly. Like she's, she's, she's willing to lift others up. She's there. She's always there when someone reaches out to, to ask for help um, or advice or, you know, counseling. And so I'd say that um, just the, the amount of success she's had, what she's done is incredible. You know, people like Sherry Bradish um, and um, just how connected she is and how, how she connects others. And that's like a major focus of her, mm-hmm. of her life, I'd say. And then like even people in my own team, like, 
they come up with great ideas that are super inspiring. And like, I love hanging around with them. And so, you know, it goes, it goes up and down. It isn't just people that have right. you know, major accolades. Um, it's also, it's also folks that are just starting out and that like see the possible differently. And that's really exciting. I, I agree. I, um, it makes me think of a couple of young sales execs that I've had the pleasure of working with uh, through various clients and projects I'm involved in, and and they just stand out because of their spirit, their optimism, uh, their their attitude. I always say to me, and I'm sure you're somebody who would who would find this also important. But when you're starting out, just bring attitude, bring bring a positive attitude, an open attitude, a, a, a you know, a, a good energy. And I think everything else just flows from there. But just to see this couple people who have optimism and, and uh, you know, they don't get down uh, easily despite some early no's and losses. They just kind of pick themselves up and I, I draw inspiration being around people like that because, listen, you've been at this. I've been, my career is about 30 years in. You can get a little bit jaded from time to time. It's it's impossible not to. So I agree with you. It's it's from up, down, sideways, all around you, being open to being inspired by other people. They're out there. I think everyone has something inspiring about them. Some people you have to look harder, but you'll find it. <laughs> yeah, well said. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, so, you know, your current role, um, you know, I'd love to just hear, you know, I, I put in there uh, what I wanted to talk about was lessons learned. I feel like we've hit a little bit of that, but no, I feel there's more to dive into there. Uh, before we get to partnerships and things that you're really proud of and the W and a little bit more on that, um, and we're looking at a wall, we won't see it when we release this, but of your favorite activations. So I want to get into partnerships and activations because that's the heart of this this uh, podcast, but but lessons learned. Um, what what stands out in your current role? I mean, I think so. I took this role six months later. The pandemic hit, so you know <laughs> the the role I expected and the plan I had essentially kind of went by the wayside as kind of dealt with with that. Um, my first real lesson was just how much people matter. Um, I mean, I always thought people mattered, but it really came to the forefront as, you know, dealing with the pandemic and um, and sort of the racial reckoning that was going on at the same time and um, and just the isolation that folks, there's a lot of things happening at the same time. And so, you know, I, and I'm not a touchy-feely person. So to go from, you know, leading a team into like checking in with people to make sure they were okay. And um, when holidays would come and the rules were you could invite, you know, one person that doesn't live in your household, reaching out to the people on my team whose families were in, in Alberta. Do you want to come for dinner? Cause we're going to have a dinner or you can join our household. Like those kind of things mattered. I did um, when the gathering limit was five people, I'd pull groups of five in my backyard and do a barbecue. And then when it was 10 people, it was the 10 people. And then when it was, we could get the whole team in the backyard. Like we were literally trying to prioritize um, well-being touch points, um, because there, people were going through a lot, um, and it wasn't uniform across the board. And, you know, at one point I remember my own boss called to check on me. My husband was deemed essential. So he left every day. 
for a time, um, our nanny was not coming because it was that we weren't allowed to mix households. And so I was trying to sort out, you know, with our broadcasters producing and getting games to air um, from like my basement um, while I had two children trying to homeschool in the house at the same time. And I felt like I'd been transported back to the 1950s. It was like I was doing all the cooking and the cleaning. My husband left every day. <laughs> Somehow I was also responsible for this league. And, uh, and, and so I had a joke, he called to check in. He was being very genuine and it was, I appreciated it, but I was sort of like, well, I'm not crying in a closet. So I guess everything's okay. <laughs> I literally said that out loud. Um, that's one I'd take back if I could go back in time. But um, but I think it was it was indicative of like you know people matter. You're not going to get great work from people if uh, if they're yeah. not in the right space. And so creating an environment where people felt supported was really important. I'm really glad that was my first lesson, to be fair, um, because I, I don't know if I would have come to it as quickly um, had the world stayed the same way. So so that would be one. Yeah. Um, I'd say the other one really is like focus on the story. Um, you know, you mean you you teach sales, so you know this, but but really, you know, tell the whole story of what you're trying to do, not just the one objective you're trying to get across. And and the more that I could do that, the the easier like resources, opportunities, and people being willing to to take a chance on you. Uh, you got yeses, and so so that would be kind of the second one. Um, there's been you know lessons I don't care to repeat, like all mm -hmm. of the PPE slash safe mm. opening of the office. Like I, those are things I never wanted to do and I never want to do again. Um, yeah, let's hope, <laughs> let's hope, yeah. Let's hope that that plan just gets put in a file and doesn't get, yeah, yeah pulled out. But the, it, it is interesting how you hear this so often, the pandemic really accelerated learning and innovation in so many ways. And it, it thrust you into that, uh, accelerated your people management um the people management side of your your job um in in such a a fierce and interesting way because you're right it became so much about just human beings and uh and their their anxiety and their concerns and their suffering and their isolation and their stress and um you know it was interesting to see how the pandemic shone a light on I always say two two causes in particular, mental health and food rescue, I felt were like pushed right to the fore, like they hadn't been in a long time. So for leaders like you, uh, those are great togetherness um, exercises. So good on you, good on you. Um, so uh yeah partnerships proud accomplishments i mean we're coming off one as i say we're talking today it's the 18th of may it was what the game was on the 13th mm -hmm. yeah um and it's so weird like it it caught me a bit by surprise when i realized this is a preseason game it felt like so much bigger right leading up leading up leading up and then it's a preseason game and look at the the energy and the excitement and the sold out. So I'm sure that's one of the proud. And I'm just wondering which of the images on your wall is going to have to be squeezed back for that, right? So, so we actually had this joke the other day that um, this we built the, this office during the pandemic. And so these are all the activations that happened pre-pandemic on my wall. But yeah, I do think next year might be time to redesign. Refresh. Um, redesign the wall. Um, 
So uh, yeah, proudest moments, I would say if we go back to kind of like during the pandemic, one of the things I'm really proud of is, is our team, it was our 75th anniversary of the NBA, our team leaned into telling Canadians the story about the Canadians in the league, moments in, in time that were, you know, relevant to, to Canada. Um, and the 75th shop activation that we activated, which was really about like taking home a piece of history um, and, and telling those stories. We did television commercials the whole way through the season that would mark different moments in the history. Uh, we launched items in 75 units and they were physical items. They weren't NFTs. We went the reverse, like away from tech into physical hard items. Um, and just the excitement and the buzz around some of those products um but the creativity around them like coming up with the moments wasn't hard but coming up with the item that you would take you know home with you was and so um i know this isn't a video podcast but i have the steve nash dime here with me and and that was you know he's known for his dimes it was such a great like kind of cheeky fun way of of, of talking about that uh-huh. that was one um this year's canada series games we sorry did- on on that real quick yeah. before was there a, a process to come up with these creative ideas? Was there a meeting? Was there a let's lock ourselves in a boardroom? Or was it just emails flying back and forth, a survey so sent out? What was the so process? It was all virtual, right? Because yes. we were all at home. So right, right, um, right. there was definitely a submission process. There was a whole series of meetings to like, you know, call down the, the ideas. There was also ideas that we couldn't actually manufacture. So things we wanted to do that were impossible to actually manufacture in 75 units because most manufacturing is made for scale, not for small pieces. So there were a bunch of constraints that were also made a very interesting kind of project to work on. The content I'd say on each of the moments was really thrilling to work on because each of us got to be a fan and that was like the most fun part of it. And we knew we were engaging fans also mostly at home that were, you know, kind of like looking for that connection that, you know, a sports arena provides. And so, so that was really exciting. The production elements of it were really intricate and, um, and thrilling. And I'd say that like we launched our first ever slam Canada issue, three different covers, all tied to Canadians past, present and future uh in the nba or the wnba and that was just really cool like there were just things that, like as a fan you know growing up reading slam that was so fun so so i'd say that piece was really a bonding experience for our team um it was a really fun one it had really great results tied to it so you know proud about that one all the way across the board um and that was not my idea so you know folks on our team came up with that idea um and and that's part of what i love about it was it was like something that came from the group that they initiated that you know they took and ran with and it was really strong um i'm proud of programs like nba creators um it's presented by microsoft it is a, a program where we hire um bipoc creatives to work on nba social media and other posts love this program year. Mm-hmm. And it really is designed to to help, you know, put NBA on their resumes. So they stand out from a pack. They get more, hopefully, jobs within the creative advertising agency where, you know, um, we know that BIPOC people of color um, are underrepresented in the creative sphere. And so it's one that I'm, I'm proud of because I think it has real impact. Um, and And it's just like the creative is incredible. I mean, it has great business results. We get three times the engagement on those posts that we get on our standard posts we post every day. Um, so yeah, like it, they go together. Um, and so I'm proud of that one. Um, 
and I'm. I think you were going to say Canada series. Did you? I was going to say Canada series this year. So this year's Canada. We've done Canada series for a long time since 2012. This year was the first year back since the pandemic, um, and so we played games in Edmonton and Montreal. Um, the Raptors played in both games, which is always great. Um, but just the number of fans that showed up early, how quick it was for them to sell out. We had 40,000 fans register their interest, so they wanted to buy tickets. There are not 40,000 seats between the two buildings, so that was, you know, exciting. Um, just how loud it was. You talked about, you know, you had to pinch yourself. It was a preseason game. It was the same thing. Canada series. People are so excited to see the NBA live and to see, you know, players that mean so much to them in real life that it it takes on meaning beyond the game. Yeah. The wins and loss is not the issue. It is about like showing up in your like fire kicks and with other people that love basketball just like you do and and really having that kind of sense of community um in a town that doesn't get to see nba games every day and that's part of the thrill of executing those games is my favorite part is to stand on the concourse and watch people come in they're so excited they're all happy the mood is great the lineups for merchandise were huge i remember in edmonton i was just shocked by how many people showed up an hour and a half early like that was the idea behind the WNBA game too was like let's bring a live WNBA game to fans in Canada because you know unless you've traveled to one in the U.S. you've never seen one live and um that was that was really kind of the the spark but it was also about changing perceptions about women's professional sport because I felt very strongly that a lot of the signals in business had changed significantly, but we weren't seeing it happen on the ground yet. And so it was an opportunity for us to, to really, you know, make a mark, to have a moment um, and to have a real celebration of women's basketball um, in this. And we picked Toronto for the first market. But um, I think that that, you know, it was it was a really thrilling experience to be a part of um, to to build something new. And I think we always you know, we talk about representation, but it doesn't happen unless somebody does takes the first step and tries something different that nobody's Amen. ever tried before. And so that is that's real joy, and 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 it's fun to build something new. It's fun to try things that others, you know, especially when others don't think it can happen, um, and 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 do it well. And so that that's part of it. Part of why it was I was proud was like the end of the game, people stood up and cheered and didn't want to leave the building and it was a preseason game and it was really because of what it meant to them to be able to gather in real life to be able to see these players to be able to cheer them on um to see them on the same stage um the biggest stage that we have um that was that was special and partners the support from your corporate partners was was overwhelming as you were saying it was hard to figure out how, how we can give everybody some meaningful tangible assets right uh, any any just comments on, you know, the partnership side of that uh, that that event and the lead up to and then the the obvious obviously the event. Yeah, so I mean, obviously we're grateful to Tangerine. They were the first partner to step up. They wanted to present the game, which was incredible. Um, I want to also note, you know, their president and CEO is a woman. Their CMO is a woman. Um, I think that makes a difference in terms of you know um, overall. Um, that was really important. We saw their their support really kickstarted with a with a national ad campaign for the WNBA. I want to note that Tangerine did their first national non-Raptors, so NBA only campaign this year. 
So to okay. do both of those things in the same year is really noteworthy. Um, and, and that I was really thrilled about. Um, we had partners like DoorDash that activated by flying university teams in from different parts of the country. Um, Air Canada did the same thing. They took a high school team instead of a university team, flew them in. Uh, we did clinics on the ground. We had player appearances at retail to really profile some of the talent um, oh. that were super well attended and well done. So Canada Goose and Sportcheck um, did those. Um, there were, I mean, I can't even, I really feel like we had four television commercials made around this game and one that we made ourselves. So five. I, I don't know any other preseason game that's had five television commercials created around no. it. And I think it was, it was all about the theme of many of them is really about like the future, like what this seed we plan. Inspiring. Yeah. And, and that is really the hope is that women, you know, feel celebrated, want to stay in the game. They want to, you know, whether you're on the court or you're working in other aspects of the game, mm -hmm. um, there, there are tons of opportunities. And I really think we're at this inflection point around women's professional sport where we're going to see a lot of it come to life and where I think it'll mean as much as men's professional sport does today during my lifetime. And that is really exciting to help be a part of that. I hope so. And I think you're right. And just to pick up on that and, you know, and, and, and I know we're, we're, we're close to our, our time here, but if you can hang on, I don't want to, there's, there's a couple more important things on that topic of this moment. And I've, I've shared this during the week as I've been in, so inspired by the last, you know, what happened, you know, the being in the, at the conference on Wednesday or sorry, on Friday and seeing the event, I wasn't at the event, but following it, watching, um, and having two daughters, one of which is a big fan of, of the W, uh, in schools me all the time. And, uh, I remember, uh, Lindsay, uh, uh, Cola's, uh, Cola, what's her, her last name, the agent who was speaking and, I texted Tay and said, and I shot her a picture of her on the screen. I said, this is Brittany Griner's um, agent and uh, um, a couple other players uh, that uh, Diana Taurasi's agent. And these are some of her favorite players, Diana Taurasi in particular. And she said, wow, it's so cool, you know, to just see an agent that looks like that, right? Mm -hmm. What a dynamo. Um, so inspired. And I said to some some industry friends, I feel, and I'm curious your take on this, so much of the talk ends up coming back to, but the metrics, the the ratings, the attendance, and there are big events that are that have the ratings and the metrics that can outshine a men's event. But I just feel like that doesn't matter as much right now. I think it's just time that brands are realizing, almost going back to thinking how Billie Jean King and her her cohorts got, you know, created a a, a movement. Um, uh, behind women's sports and women's women's tennis, that it's just brands realizing it's time to get behind women's sports and invest in it and help it grow. And don't worry about, well, we'll get there when the ratings and the metrics, because that may not always be there immediately, but I just think we're past that. Is that fair comment? I mean, I think that, you know, to make sure folks know, we had 19,963 seats sold for the game. So that yes. is a massive success. We had 98% of our merchandise in the building sell out before the half. Massive success. Um, and on par with like a concert type, you know, apparel 
sales, not like a regular season game. I do think that we start to talk about regular season over 40 games or 20 home games, et cetera. That's a little bit of a different story. Um, and I agree with you that brands, brands are helping to build the future we want to see. Um, I think that, you know, will the ratings be there immediately? Maybe not, but a lot of these sport properties don't even have television distribution deals. Um, and so fans of women's sports are used to going to find um, their, their sports in a whole host of online streaming places. Um, and, and so we've kind of conditioned women's sports fans to do that already. Uh, if we end up putting all of the games on television, we'll have to condition them to go somewhere else. And so um, I, right now for me, you know, follows on social media views, whether it's on broadcast or streaming and, um, and purchasing merchandise are really important metrics that we can track. Um, I'm working on a travel experience type product that we can take women from, or any fan, from Canada to games in the US. Because um, I think that's something that would also be a really exciting element. Um, that arena was full of young people, it was full of families, um, over-indexed on women. Um, things that, you know, I don't think anyone would be surprised by, but I think that, you know, there's a whole host of folks that are excited about women's professional sports and will support them. Mm -hmm. Um, and brands have a massive opportunity to win by spending there and, and really showing support to grow. And, uh, we, before we leave that topic, Canadian Tire, it's pretty impressive what they've done. Do you want to just maybe talk about that, um, you know, their pledge and what it means to a leader like you and in women's sports? Yeah, so so Canadian Tire is not a partner on the NBA side. They are a partner on the W side for around this game. Um, they're already, you know, hitting us up on what's our next activation on W, which is very exciting. Um, I I love the boldness of of their pledge. I love that it's focused on professional women's sports primarily um, because because we need partners to take leadership stances. And I do think that. Um, it's just one blue chip brand to convince others to come on board. Correct. So the fact that we had Tangerine first helped us in the sales meeting with, you know, other mm -hmm. brands. Um, and, and when we started to say, you know, this is how this brand's going to activate, what do you want to do? We also got a bit of the like, oh, okay, we want to do this. We want to, you know, orient. And everybody, you know, was trying to hit the objectives that they cared about, but many of them shared the same objective of, wanting to um, provide opportunities for their employees to feel that the brand was supporting, you know, women. Um, and, and that was, that was something that, you know, I think a lot of brands are trying to do right now. And so we had some brands partner that really the whole focus was internal. It wasn't mm -hmm. really about the external brand and, and that's okay. Um, so, you know, if you're if you're selling a women's sport property right now think about all of those brands not just the ones that want to outwardly say that they're supporting love that and and talk I'll about that. that yeah uh, talk about that a lot in the sales training is if you want to approach a, a prospect don't overlook the impact of corporate partnerships sponsorships on internal employee pride i would mm -hmm. say you think that Scotiabank doesn't love the fact that they're the the pride it gives their people in their branches when they support, uh, you know, another, the the other sport, right? Uh, that the the NHL, 
um, you know, what what Canadian Tire's doing now around the W. You don't think that that gives people working in the stores a huge and corporate offices a huge point of pride, you know. So that employee pride, not just the external stakeholder consumer pride, I think is a massive, massive plus and well demonstrated through that example. Um, anything else before we just get to close with professional development advice? Any other uh, women's initiatives, sports initiatives uh, that you want to highlight or people that you want to uh, mention? We've You've done a great job, <laughs> so I think we've covered I a lot. I mean, there's a ton of women um, within not not just so Canadian Tire. Obviously, that initiative was also led by women at Canadian Tire um, with Ashley and Kim. Um, They deserve, you know, tons of kudos for their leadership there Um, within our team here. I mean, most people don't realize the NBA team is 60 percent women. Um, And so uh, there's a lot of women here that are driving it, but also incredible men. um, And they're all committed to this vision. Um, And so. So that's something I'm really excited about. I would say, you know, I'd love to see more women of color leading big portfolios. And, you know, at our team, we have Cheryl Sebastian leading all of our sponsorship um, business. And she's an incredible. I love Cheryl too. Um, And like, you know, we don't talk about opposites. She has all the energy that in, in, you know, orientation that I don't. And that's why I love her on my team. Um, And so, so yeah, I would just say that that is, that's one one thing I'd love to see more of, and I think we're getting there. Um, it, we're, we're just not quite there yet. Well said, and uh, I agree, let's let's get there. Um, so let's wrap with professional development advice. You've been so gracious with your time. You've built such a a wonderful career, and I'm so excited. Uh, you know, I can't, can't help but just talk to you and listen to you and just think the sky is, I'm just excited to see where you go in in the sports world whether it's with the nba or anywhere um but how did what do you lean on what are your habits what what do you what do you think are the keys for other people listening to have a career like leah mcnab i mean i think it's about being really honest with yourself like know what you're good at um hire people who are smarter than you to run things that you're not good at Hmm. um but also the complement of personalities and viewpoints it really matters you know we're we aim in our office to have, um, so we're, we're past gender parity, let's say we're at 60% women. We aim to have 50% people of color. We're at 48% right now. So we're close, we're not quite there. Um, but but it's also about like diversity of lived experiences, socioeconomic backgrounds. It's really about being really intentional about the team you pull together because those are the people that you're gonna be in the trenches with day in and day out. And so, you know, be really selective about who you bring in to your house um, because uh, if you bring the right people in, literally you can make magic happen. And that is super exciting to me on a day-to-day basis. Um, I also wanna say like very practically, the more feedback you give, the more you'll get. And that's a lesson I wish I had learned when I was younger. Um, especially when I didn't think I had the right to give anyone feedback, um, because that's when I could have used more of it. (laughs) And so I would say, uh, for anyone kind of starting out that that's one thing I wish I, I had known. Well said. So good. Listen, um, let's wrap it there. Um, I uh, can't thank you enough. This is great insight. As I say, I was just excited to talk to you at, at this moment in time and uh when we start planning this out i was like this will be great and you've given tremendous insight inspiration can't thank you enough for your time thanks for having me